everyone. I'm your host, Christina Laney-Mitri, and welcome to Smart Living Hawaii's podcast, where we discuss smart homes and technology, sustainability, healthy lifestyles, and smart business. Today, we will continue our Sustainable Leaders series and join some of the keynote speakers and panelists from the Hawaii Agricultural Conference 2019 held at the Hawaii Convention Center. Here right now, we will begin with Taylor Kellerman. He is the board president of the Ag Leadership Foundation of Hawaii. He is also the director of Diversified Ag and Land Stewardship at Kulo Ranch. Correct. All right. Well, he is a key player here for this putting to this conference together. So if you can just jump on in, let us know more about the conference and um, what, we, what we have going on for the next two days. Sure. So uh, the 2019 Ag Conference is um, what I would uh, consider kind of the, the um, signature event of our uh, foundation, which is the Ag Leadership Foundation of Hawaii. Uh, we really have uh, two purposes. One is to uh, have a leadership program that we have cohorts every two years or so. We're in our 16th cohort now, and the other is to put on this event. Uh, what I think is so great about um, bringing everybody into the same room, which is really the impetus for this conference, is that uh, as an industry, we, we are segmented, whether it be because we grow different crops, whether it be because we're on different islands, um, different priorities, different ways of marketing, but one thing in common is that we all have a passion for this industry. And so what it allows us to do is to get together, share um, information, share war stories, you know, provide contact information for younger people. In fact, um, you know, the student aspect is a huge part of this. With, have you uh, always had the student aspect part of it? Ever since I have been involved, yes. Um, Future Farmers is kind of the obvious one, but uh, you know, in the last two years, there's been a big push to provide uh, scholarship to uh, people from, um, like for instance, I know Castle High School is here with their ag program, um, Kapolei High School, Waipahu High School, That's and awesome. a few other island ones as well. Yeah, um, within the different sectors of sustainability here in Hawaii, I do see that, and what I do applaud you for is the, the collaboration mm -hmm. within what you guys are doing within your own industry of ag, but right. then in addition to connecting outside Yes. of the ag industry and a lot of these panels you've got you know coming down every actually there's too many of them that you want to attend at the yes, same time that's always the that's so always the um, at the end of the day um, you only get to jump into one of them at a time but anyhow i do appreciate what you're bringing to the table and um, for those of you who don't know we'll we'll try to get as much of this information out to you um, and we will have a few more panels beside the panelists besides the keynote speaker mm -hmm. that we will be doing short snippets little interviews with that um, you can learn more about what they're all about so thank you so much for being here and is there anything else you'd like to share with um the listeners today um just that you know agriculture is alive and well and you've got a lot of really great uh young people and a lot of uh people that are i'll say more seasoned like myself who are just so excited to have this opportunity to really get together and, and move forward as an industry yeah well thank you so much and we'll jump on into the podcast right after this great thank
We are now diving into small podcast interviews with some of our keynote speakers and panelists to this conference. So I wanted to welcome Jamie Tuta. Hi. Kia ora. Kia ora. Yeah, that's how they say it instead of us saying aloha. Well, aloha, Jamie. And what I would like to do before we start is your brief bio. So I'm going to just read that really quickly. Jamie was named chair of the New Zealand Tourism Board this past May, which is responsible for marketing New Zealand as a global destination. He is inspired by the opportunities for New Zealand to be an exemplar for other countries. He is also the chair of the Maori Television. He's also the uh, Maori Fisheries Commission, which is, could you pronounce that? Tiohu Kaimona. Oh, that sounds so beautiful. <laughs> I would have butchered it. And also we have the Taranaki Munya. Taranaki Maunga. Mona. <laughs> An ambitious project with a vision to restore ecological resilience to more than 34,000 hectares from the mountain to the sea. As the former Maori trustee and CEO of Tetu, Tetumu Pairo. Yeah, thank you. He administered 100,000 hectares of Maori land throughout the country. Jamie is passionate about investing in innovation and increasing the economic and environmental performance of New Zealand's primary industries, particularly the Maori pastoral and fishing sectors, developing the capacity and capability of Maori. So thank you so much for joining us today and for being here at the conference. Um, I did have a few questions to share with our listeners. And um, I think one of the big ones that we always uh, like to kind of relate to is New Zealand and the Hawaiian Islanders and the indigenous. Maybe if you can speak a little bit on that, maybe some of the similar traits and maybe differences that you see. So definitely, so uh, Māori and Hawaiian, of course, being both Pacific peoples, um, indigenous peoples, uh, we come with our worldview and our minds, uh, our own worldview, our values, um, and more particularly that relationship that we have to land and place into our natural environment. So what we call in, in Māoridom the taiao, the natural world, uh, we have a view that you know we are we as humans, we as people are part of that natural world, and you can't separate us from it. And so, when we think about what we plan for in the future, we've got to ensure that we view ourselves within the context of our environment, and then uh, we adopt what we call kaitiakitanga. So, kaitiakitanga is wise and enduring use. Um, and that gives expression to those values that we'll view in the way in which we we, we work with, we steward, uh, we utilise land to ensure that there's that balance between people and land and the fact that you can't separate culture from land. So would you say, I'm, I have never been to New Zealand and I want it's on my bucket list of things to do, but would you say that almost everybody there has that same mentality, like the way you're looking at things like culturally based is that just a so from, common from, practice? Yeah, from a Māori foundational standpoint, yes. Um, there are some, of course, within Te Ao Māori that are still remembering that, that way of viewing our natural environment. But one of the um, key areas of focus for Māori Dim and a lot of our tribal organisations over the past few years has been to not only grow and develop that understanding with their own communities, but also how might we influence the broader New Zealand public and government to actually change the lens by which they view 
um, our natural capital, our natural world, our environment when looking at particular legislative and policy and regulatory change, whether that be in relation to agriculture, to water policy or anything else um, relating to the natural environment. Okay. And I think the other thing too is how secular has New Zealand become? You know, I guess the influences of the outside world and more of the, I would say, I would just throw out the United States and how robust it is and how evolved it's become, you know, this, this different type of <laughs> needs and wants and I guess high demand is how, how influenced well, it's just, is I mean, it? so, you know, we live in a global society and there's no denying that and we're influenced by all sorts of things. If you look at young people, myself, I've got six children. Wow. And, um, you know. What are their ages? So I've got two 15-year-olds, two 11-year-olds, a 10-year-old, Two eight, sets of twins? Two sets wow. of twins. Um, and so, you know, we're, we're always influenced by um, what's happening outside of New Zealand, what's happening within New Zealand. And I, I guess, you know, the key thing for us is where possible for us to be Aotearoa New Zealand, for us to embrace those principles, those values that make us who we are, and to be confident in those things, but recognising that we're always going to be shaped by external forces. Mm -hmm. um, and also understanding that New Zealand is an agricultural exporting nation. So we've got 4.5 million people. We can feed and clothe 40 million people from our primary sector. And one of the other big export earners for us, given we are an export economy, is tourism. And so, you know, we're welcoming more and more people into New Zealand. Um, and part of that is understanding, you know, what that looks like for us now, but more importantly, as we plan for the future. About how many tourists probably come through? So you? last year, um, we hit a high of 3.8 million uh, visitors, um, which is sort of small fry when you compare that to Hawaii, uh, around 10, 10, 10 <laughs> I know it's a bit um, But it's quite interesting because, you know, our tourism industry has grown over time. And like anything, just ensuring that we as a nation are ready, you know, if we're going to open our hearts, our minds, our homes and our place to tourists, that we are able to do that in a way which um, is acceptable to our people, but also provides that embrace to those tourists that travel to New Zealand. So a lot of that is around infrastructure and understanding what the tolerance of our people is, right? Yeah. Well, I really appreciate <coughs> seeing, I guess, you as are a newer more of a newer country than you know the US or whatnot but you know Hawaii adopted this tourist economy a long time ago and it kind of transformed things and has um, affected I think a lot of times the deep-rooted culture that Hawaii has so I mean at times I'm starting to see now the generations that are coming through are definitely um, a little bit more removed from their culture and their past um, and their ancestors so um, it doesn't really trickle down to what's important and what they their their needs and wants are it, it starts to change and so I would I like how you guys are going back to your people and talking like what is it that you want to keep before you move forward so yeah, yeah I think it's really understanding that you know um, we evolve as well right so we don't stand still mm -hmm. so um, those principles, those those values which we hold dear that shape us and are part of our identity, that we can express and carry those forward into a, into a modern day context. And they might manifest themselves differently, but fundamentally, 
Um, they anchor us, they provide that foundation for us. And I, I guess, you know, it requires a multi, it's, it's a, a, a multi-stranded sort of strategy to ensure that we can ensure that our cultural identity is strong and mm -hmm. vibrant, um, but at the same time recognising that we do live in a modern world. We are shaped by global influences and it's about how we can be true to who we are as we express ourselves in a modern context. So I think that's cool. Yeah. Um, and you know, and, and I think for me personally, it's one where, you know, just be clear about what shapes us, mm -hmm. because the Hawaiian example. So there are extreme benefits from particular sectors in terms of the economic value that they provide and the economic benefit. Um, but being mindful of when things don't quite all go the right way. So you know, GFC, you would have had the Twin Tower bombing in 2001. Um, the impact that that can have. And I think New Zealand now is looking at a more integrated economy and then thinking about, you know, how can we ensure that we've got a diverse economy that provides benefits and greater well-being to everyone. It's easy to say, hard to do, right? <laughs> right? We can talk about it, but actually putting that into practice is something that's more challenging. Yeah, and how many people are in New Zealand? Uh, about four and a half million. Four and a half million. Mm. Yeah, so, so. In, in most uh, in the North Island, we've got over a million in Auckland. So, um, but you know, on a on a per capita basis across the landmass we have, I mean, we're not a heavily populated country. I mm mean, -hmm. um, we never have. And you know, as our population increases, and if we think about tourism and other things, um, just ensuring that our people um, understand what that means and are accepting and embrace that. Yeah. And then what are some of the hurdles that you guys are facing? Um, I was reading somewhere about, I don't know if it's the education you guys are, um, the unemployment rate might be really high yeah, for So you. Em employment um, on average in New Zealand at the moment is reasonably low. But when you think about Māori unemployment rates to that of just the general population, mm -hmm. Māori unemployment is twice that of non-Māori. Wow. Um, and so a lot of our Māori statistics, unfortunately, um, are not that great. And so, you know, whether it's incarceration rates, whether it's um, educa educational underperformance, um, those are all issues that, you know, we've got direct sort of policy interventions and investment um, to try and lift that performance. Um, and that's, you know, some of that may take time, a generation or two, but it's something that we need to keep our focus on. And fundamentally because, you know, the greatest asset that any country or any state has is its people, right? Mm -hmm. Our human capital and so um, measures to be able to lift the performance of our of our families and of our community is, has got to be a good thing. Well, I also had um, inquired about, I was looking at the, also like your top 10 exports because, you know, Hawaii, <coughs> we used to export sugarcane and pineapple but all of that is depleting from us so you know we don't actually do much exporting anymore like i would say in comparison but for you guys um i see that you have the fishery industry and know very little about what that is since yeah yeah so i mean new zealand we have what can be described as a world-class fisheries management system. So it's a quota management system. Is um, it more on the farming side or the actual no, fishing? No, so a, a wild harvest fishery. Okay. And so, um, and it's split into two. We've got basically an inshore fishery and then a sort of what is called a deep water. But it's all managed under what is called the quota management system, which is set out under our Fisheries Act, which effectively um, on an annual, you have a quota owner 
so who basically has a right to fish a certain entitlement um, and then on an annual basis there's basically set entitlements or set limits in terms of if you owned a tonne excuse me, <coughs> of abalone, um, on an annual basis you could basically harvest a tonne of that abalone. Oh, okay. <coughs> and so, I mean, our fishing industry is really great because it's another diversification. But again, you know, our, our fisheries product are fantastic, you know. Yeah. Premium products, so if you get down there you'll, you'll get to taste that. And so given we export most of our product, it's basically ensuring that we... You know, we're targeting the premium end of the market because of the quality of our product, the way in which it's harvested, it's cared for, it's processed, and so on. Yeah, because I think that's a big thing now is is just overfishing, right? And so you guys have a system. Yeah, so the the quota management system, in our view, and there's reports about it, as it's it's sort of world leading. Um, But in saying that, there are still, you know, there are still critics. There are still people that are saying that, you know, sustainability is an issue. Um, but you know this, the sustainability measures within this particular system are based on science and evidence and data. And so you know part of that is the the industry, government, um, even the NGO community looking to work together to ensure that we've got a, a, a sustainable future for our for our fishery, fishing industry and for our fisheries. And um, I think the last question I have for you would be. Um, when you are restoring ecological resilience to the land, what does that mean? <laughs> what does restoring ecological yeah, resilience? Yeah, what, what do so, you? I mean, with so all what, the what thousands of hectares. Yeah, yeah, so what we're so this is a, a project to do with our mountain in Taranaki, and effectively um, there were a number of groups that were determined to ensure that we could accelerate the investment. Right. So a lot of this area is currently managed by the Department of Conservation, and there was a recognition that. The department itself didn't have all of the resources to be able to make the transformation that was required in a shorter time frame. And so it's a collaboration between our tribal Māori iwi organisations, government through the Department of Conservation, um, a not-for-profit, and then a number of local businesses who pooled their resources. So we were able to raise about $26 million New Zealand dollars over a 10-year period, and then to map out a plan um, to look to eradicate predators. So on in this area, so uh, we've got possums, we've got stoats, we've got rats, all of those species. We've got ungulates, so goats, like invasive invasive species which decimate the the, the flora, uh, which also sort of um, really sort of decimate our bird life because. Oh. And so part of it is removing those predators, also looking at new ways of, of removing them, so through trap technology, through um, poisons and the like. And then there's a process of restoration in terms of translocating species that once we're on the mountain and we no longer hear their bird call. So that project is very ambitious. It's large scale. Um, nothing's really been achieved on the mainland at this scale. Um, but I think for me the beauty of the project itself is that these projects only work and are only sustainable if you can bring people together to collaborate mm-hmm. and to coalesce around a common vision. And so the vision for this project is Hekawa Ora. So restoring life back to our mountain by you know getting rid of the predators, by 
um, introducing those species that once were there. But I think the the most beautiful thing for me about the project has been reconnecting people back to the mountain, back to nature, having them participate, having them volunteer, and really, yeah, it's it's really cool to see just the contribution that people are making and then all of the other organisations that are chipping in and supporting. Well, that sounds like a really awesome thing to participate in if we are not from New Zealand, but perhaps if we decide to come to you. We have, I've actually just started and helped launch the Eco Rotary here in Hawaii and we're doing a lot of environmental things, but there's a lot of Rotary International um, and then we have a lot of you know, trips that we are looking to plan for the future of going international wise. So things come down that, to and I think I <coughs> add that to the, the list of things to do. Yes, <laughs> but the other thing, right, so what we're doing is that um, in terms of all of these ecological um, restoration projects throughout the country is greater alignment. The government have come on board, they've got a, a predator-free goal and ambition and then um, sharing best practice knowledge mm-hmm. both domestically and as I spoke about in my talk today it's about not being afraid to reach out beyond our boundaries beyond our borders and and just seeing what best practice looks like in other in other places in the world so, yeah, so we can learn from each other we sure. can well thank you so much for your time and I hope you enjoy the rest of this conference and um, until maybe I see you, <laughs> in you New Zealand. come down to New Zealand right? I, I trust me I will it's on my list of to do's I think I might have to make it a service project I think that would be most you have to do that yeah. <laughs> but you. I think there's a lot to learn from what we are doing in the environmental space down there yeah thank you mahalo kia ora okay up next we have Michelle Galimba a cattle rancher on the Hawaii island aloha Michelle Aloha. Thank you so much for being here, being such a big part of the conference this year. And I'm going to read a little short bio on you really quick. She runs Kuahibi? Kuahibi. Kuahibi Ranch with her brother Guy Galimba. Their family ranch provides locally grown beef to supermarkets, farmers markets, and restaurants on Oahu and Hawaii Island. She grew up on the dairy farms in Hawaii and has been involved with her family's ranch since it started on abandoned sugarcane acreage in the early 1990s. Having grown up in the agriculture in Hawaii, she has seen firsthand the stresses and constraints which make farming and ranching particularly challenging. She is interested in the key role that agriculture, small farms in particular, play in addressing the big challenges of our time. So economic inequity, political disenfranchisement. (laughs) I know all these big words and I'm like, oh my goodness. And then biodiversity loss and climate change. So Michelle has served on the state of Hawaii's Board of Agriculture and is currently a director of the Farm Credit Service of Hawaii and other agricultural and conservation programs and nonprofits. So she's got her hands full, but she's um, a part of a lot within the ag community. So thank you so much for being here. Um, We would like to dive into, I think, collaboration in this little short snippet that we have. So maybe you can share with us how the ag world is collaborating outside of your sectors and um, solving some problems (laughs) that we have, (laughs) that we face. So 
Um, I'm going to talk a little bit about something that is really dear to my heart, and which I mentioned um, in the conference earlier, which is um, collaborating not just with other people, but with other species. And I, that it's really important to me, this kind of point of really lifting up the fact that, um, that animals and plants are very important for our health and our mental health, and they, they complete us. So um, to me, like looking at agriculture, we need to change how we look at it in so many different ways and not just look at it as um, something that we do to the world, but something that we participate in. So that's very important to me. And then that actually sort of leads to collaborating with different people because different people, different sectors, sort of ha uh, have that concept. Um, and so we, we just had a session about health and agriculture. And the sort of the key point of that was that when you're involved in agriculture, you're actually becoming healthier because you're interacting with um, plants that you eat and the insects and, and the microbiology, which we're learning is really important for our health. You can't just exist in a vacuum. You have to have um, contact with good bacteria, and those good bacteria actually help you to fight the bad bacteria that make you sick. So that, that collaboration that is possible between health and agriculture is really exciting to me because then that cross-sector alliance makes both um, sectors stronger. Yeah. Could you explain a little bit more about, I guess, that session we were just in? It was very interesting. Um, and um, what they're doing and how it's actually helping the community of Waianae. So um, my very... Like I'm not, I'm not one of the researchers, but my very simple um, explanation of that research is that um, they, they studied the interns at Ma'o Farms, and these over a year-long period, and the interns who took part in agriculture um, on the farm had positive health benefits not just on the physical level, although that was really impressive, but on the social side as well. For instance, they were um, talking with their friends about being more healthy, about eating healthier foods. And so that, that influenced their friends to think about those um, issues and to be more adventurous and open to healthier foods. So that's something that I think um, that I also am very interested in is a lot of times when we think about uh, agriculture, we think about it as basically a science project that you need to, <laughs> right? You, you have these, you know, plants and you need to make them do the things that you want them to do, and that's what agriculture is. But it's more than that. It's people and the kind of agriculture that you do um, affects your community and the kind of world that you make. So it, agriculture is much more complicated than most people realize. It's not just plants and animals, right. I guess, in a sense, you know, yeah. how yeah. it kind of collaborates with all of our, our well-being, everything mm -hmm. in general. Um, also, what are some other things 
that you have your hands in, I guess, helping when it comes to conservation programs and nonprofits, maybe, that you'd like to share with us? Um, so one of the things that I talked about um, here at the conference was something called an agricultural conservation easement. And that is a way to help farmers to dedicate their land to agriculture and to make that um, a decision that help them make that decision, which is something you know that we need to do because a lot of times uh, agricultural land gets sold for development, which is it's a short term um, benefit because you get more money for your land potentially, but in the long run, um, that land is lost to agriculture and lost to being able to produce food, which is, is really important for... Um, well, we're on islands. <laughs> right. Yeah, we need to have that ability to produce food. Yeah. yeah. And not only that, I think people lose their contact with that um, wonderful relationship. You know, everyone likes to see, like, pretty flowers or beautiful tomatoes or whatever, so that relationship gets lost when you know more and more land gets pa paved over. Yeah, and well, I guess being in Hawaii is the paradise that it is. I mean, we don't want it to all be the city part of Honolulu. <laughs> right. <laughs> not right. why we come here, right? So why we live here. So, um, so when you say that you're helping, is that with the land trusts and the um, that kind of thing? Right. So we we're lucky to get some help um, from the Trust for Public Land, which is a great organization that helps to conserve you know, land, not just with agriculture, but all kinds of um, conservation land. And they have a lot of expertise on that. Um, so they sort of help to bring people together on that. And then we also got funding support from the Freeman Foundation. And we worked with um, a local nonprofit um, on the Big Island called the Alakahakai Trail Association. So that was bringing you know, different sort of sectors or organizations um, together um, who might not necessarily meet up, but we are, and I think really good things are happening from that. Okay, I know that you did mention ecological civilization in your initial um, program, and maybe you could explain that as well because I know that was important to you <laughs> and I didn't know very much about it so it'd be great to hear your perspective right so you know I, th I think about this question of you know every you know the, the big I talked about paradox in my um, my speech and the biggest paradox is that most of us know that the way we live is is there's big problems associated with it where our ecological footprint especially in you know rich countries like the US um, is much bigger than the planet can sustain um, we would need I think it's 1.6 planets if everybody lived like we do out of sight out of mind right yeah yeah oh my gosh <laughs> um, so that paradox is that we know that things are not really the way they should be, that the way we live doesn't um, fit with the environment, the, the environmental limits. So like, how, do we, how do we think about it um, in a way that would help us to change? Because even though we know what 
you know what's going on we we like nobody knows how to change um and we don't really have like a vision of how to change like a lot of people feel like oh, okay if i if i like let loose of this very consumeristic way of living then then what, then what? like yeah. you know are we going to have to suffer like are we not going to have access to the things that we love um and that are great about civilization um so that that phrase is to me is super interesting because it kind of keeps that and it tells you that you know, we can have a civilization, we can have maybe not, you know, the wasteful things, but we can have the things that are really important to us, but we can do it, you know, thinking about ecology and the long run. So I'm really fascinated by that. And that's, you know, just one word about many. There's, there's words like agroecology or sustainability is one that, you know, we've used a lot. But I, I just find that that phrase particularly interesting and then I mentioned how it has sort of um, a following beyond the United States so I mean that's what we have to do we have to you know work together as a globe so maybe we need to work with other people on what ideas appeal to them not just what you know what we think adapt and collaborate Yeah. yeah yes So, well, thank you so much. I know you have to get back to everything with this conference, but it was great to meet you. And um, I guess you can also listen to this podcast, but we'll also have information, um, your information as well on the podcast, should anybody want to reach out or contact you. Um, But thank you. Have a great day. (laughs) You're welcome. Thank you. Aloha, we're back and we have a couple ladies with us today and they are on a panel, a very interesting one at that, which we'll talk about. And let me introduce you to Stephanie Mock, Sustainability Manager at Kuloa Ranch. And then we also have uh, Jamie Barton, the Program Lead for Healthy Soils Hawaii. Okay, and I know you guys are tag teaming on a panel, which is tomorrow, but for all of you guys will be much later when you listen to this podcast, and it will be on cultivation, carbon, and collaboration. So could we dive into that a little bit more and so our listeners can learn about some of the cool panel speakers and things that you've been talking about on this conference? Yeah, absolutely. So Jamie and I have been working on a great project for the last year, which she'll talk more about Healthy Soils Hawaii. And during that time, we were having all these conversations with ag um, professionals, farmers, ranchers, with this idea of how can we use our working lands in Hawaii as a means for carbon sequestration, for carbon sinks. Um, Oftentimes, agriculture is thought of as only emitter, um, a carbon emitter, that is. And we really fail to connect that all of us emit carbon, whether industry, energy, agriculture. But agriculture has the amazing opportunity to also provide so many other services like capturing carbon in our healthy soil. Um, and so this forum is really put together. Jamie is one of our um, highlighted guest speakers on the panel tomorrow that I'm moderating. I'm taking a, a back seat, if you will, and having Jamie um, talk about the great work she's been doing here in Hawaii. Uh, we also have speakers from California as well to kind of show that collaboration in what does a carbon market or carbon program look like in Hawaii that can incentivize our farms and ranches and also provide incentive payments for them to do these great practices that store carbon in our soil. 
Um, so our panel, again, has four speakers, but uh, our highlighted speaker and one that I'm very fond of is Jamie. Um, so she can talk more about the project that she's been leading for the past year. Great. Okay, sure. Um, yeah, so I've been running a program with Stephanie um, for the past year called Healthy Soils Hawaii. Um, and really the idea for this was kind of born out of um, the state's goal to be greenhouse gas neutral by 2045. Um, and in order to meet that goal, we've identified that we have to sequester carbon on Hawaii's working lands. Um, I was looking this up the other day, I had to double check my math, but um, Hawaii's agricultural producers actually um, manage about a quarter of the land in the state. So there's this immense opportunity to work with our farmers and ranchers to sequester carbon. And it's, it's not even just about carbon sequestration, it's also about making these farms and ranches more resilient to the impacts of climate change. Um, we know that it's coming, we know that it's kind of here, and rather than being reactive, we want to be proactive. Um, so what we're doing is we are providing technical assistance and incentive payments to our producers to implement carbon, excuse me, climate smart agricultural practices. So that where's the funds coming from? Right now, um, we are funded by the Natural Resource Conservation Service. Um, they've been a big supporter, which has been great. Um, we're also funded through um, the Office of Planning, which um, houses the Greenhouse Gas Sequestration Task Force. And that is the task force that the governor has created to determine how we're going to be greenhouse gas neutral by 2045. Okay. So it's really um, a public-private partnership as well. You know, she talked about some of these funders we have at the federal level, at the state level. Um, but really, um, ultimately, what it comes down to is collaboration. Mm -hmm. um, just the feds can't do it. Just the state can't do it. Right. Just the farms and ranches can't do it. And so this forum was really created to kind of highlight all the the great conversations that are happening around this topic and create a platform that kind of brings everyone on the same page and kind of legitimizes that conversation on a large scale. We've been having these mini conversations and we've been going down rabbit holes of what healthy soil means and you know all the services that farms and ranches provide like green space or water infiltration, local food, food security, and also just that connection to the land. And so with Healthy Soils Hawaii being one of the highlighted projects of working with farms and ranches the last year to provide technical assistance, soil testing, but also just being that bridge so that we can create a program here that really supports farms and ranches for their healthy soil, for their carbon sequestration, and all the other ecosystem services they provide. Mm -hmm. For some of our Green to Green Listeners, could you explain a little bit more about the carbon sequestration? You know, like everything that <laughs> yeah. that entails. I think a lot of people are understanding and jumping on the bandwagon of planting a tree, mm -hmm. right. but maybe we can dive a little deeper because you're talking the soil now. Yes. So maybe you could explain that a little bit more so our listeners who are new to this can understand um, how we're also getting carbon elsewhere. Yes, yes. So, all right. So I'm a little bit of a soil nerd, so I get a little bit excited talking about this. But, um, you know, we have been talking about planting trees and how much um, carbon we can sequester by reforesting our lands. And that's a very important piece of the puzzle. Um, but what a lot of people don't know yet and are just kind of getting wise to, which is so exciting, is that there's potential to sequester a lot of carbon in the soil. And this is nothing new. Um, we're using practices that have been around for a long time that are proven to improve soil health. Um, so, I mean, there's a variety of different things that you can do to improve soil health. It's a little bit challenging to measure carbon sequestration. 
um, specifically in soil because different soils react different ways to different management practices. But generally speaking, if you're using good agricultural practices on the land um, you, and you're improving the health of your soil, you're usually increasing your organic matter content of your soil. And the organic matter, carbon, is actually the building block of organic matter. Could um, you explain what you know that means like when you say organic sure. matter and yeah <laughs> just I know this yeah. is like some people are this is very new and because we focus on all five sectors some of them might just be in the energy world some of them might just be in housing you know so it's it's good to well, give Jamie's a 101 mind. on it so <laughs> Jamie's mind is always I hope yeah, I do yeah. it here. <laughs> so basically there's chemical physical and biological properties of soil and when those things are kind of working in harmony um, you're said to have you know healthy soils and so if one of those things is kind of out of whack you kind of have to address that so organic matter is one component of that um, you know there's air space there's water space there's soil structure um, so as you're building up your soil health you're building up your organic matter you're building up your soil carbon um, I think the really incredible opportunity that we have in Hawaii is we have on a lot of our previously farmed uh, lands we have a very um, we have depleted carbon pools, basically, because we've done a lot of really intensive tillage. And when you do a lot of tillage, you release that carbon, you disturb that structure, you increase my microbial activity, and you actually just kind of break those bonds down, and you lose carbon into the atmosphere. So we have a lot of um, soils that are depleted in carbon, and where that's a problem for soil health, it's an opportunity for carbon sequestration, because that means we have the opportunity to put that carbon back where it belongs. And how do we do that? You should talk about the four basic principles of soil. Oh, health. gosh. Keep, <laughs> Keep the soil covered. Um, what is it? Living Increase roots. biodiversity. Increase biodiversity. Yeah, living roots and. Oh, it's the last the one. Do, I think it's. Uh, did we already say <laughs> don't disturb the soil? I think that oh, was yeah, it. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah, so so these are just basic steps that, that producers can take. Um, and there's, there's various forms that that can take as well. I mean, if, if you're a rancher, for example, um, you might you know, decide to change up your grazing practices. There's a lot of different names for this. You can call it intensive rotational grazing, adaptive grazing, holistic grazing. Um, but basically you're farming grass and then you're putting cattle on that and the cattle are eating the grass. So ranchers down. ranchers are grass farmers, right? Yeah. Um, and so what they're doing is they're building these really, really healthy soils through really healthy grass systems. Um, and so for a farmer, it might look very different. For them, it could be something like adding compost, adding cover crops, um, doing crop rotation, not just growing one crop after this, you know, the same, the same species over and over and over, and tilling the soil, you know, really intensively and not covering it. So they would be giving it some time to heal. Exactly. Yes, exactly. Yeah, time to heal, and then putting back what you're taking out. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's been a very extractive kind of um, system, and we're talking about we're not just making the soils healthy; we're regenerating those soils. Mm -hmm. We're putting more into it than what we're taking out, and that's not been the agricultural norm. Yeah. Um, so it's really kind of flipping the narrative about how we manage soil. You know, we've really been treating it in the past as the medium that we use to grow plants. But if we're going to do that, then why don't we just do hydroponics, you know? <laughs> I mean, if we're, if we're growing it in the soil, there's so much that the soil has to offer. So we're really focusing on kind of 
putting that back into that system and building a healthier ecosystem as a result. Well, I'm looking forward to sitting in on this panel tomorrow. And <laughs> I also wanted to let you guys know, we'll be putting your information on the podcast at the bottom. So if they have or they want more information, then they can reach out to you both. Yes. Um, but thank you guys so much for joining us for thank this you. quick little podcast yeah. interview. And um, until... We see you tomorrow. Thank you guys again. Thank you. Aloha, we are back and I am interviewing Jacob Tavares. He is the ranch manager for Mahi Pono on Maui, which is a ranch over there. We will probably have to have a podcast with him solo a little bit more about his ranch. And, um, but for today, we are going to be discussing a interesting panel, which will be happening tomorrow, called the Pathways to Sustainability. And if you can dive a little bit deeper into this today with us and share with our listeners uh, what this, this panel is about. Sure. And thank you for having me. Um, so, you know, I think the focus of this particular panel is looking at how we consume natural resources uh, and potentially disrupt natural ecosystems in the pursuit of producing food. Um, it's often a contentious issue and it's one of those things that we battle with both legally um, and yeah, conscious, consciously within our organizations trying to decide how do we balance um, that the use of these natural resources um, to achieve our own business goals uh, as well as meet the needs and the demands of our community and it's certainly not easy um, Hawaii is very unique in that the water um, distribution system and the water diversion system um, was put in place many many years ago over a hundred years ago by the sugar and pineapple plantations mm -hmm. to drive water um, which is a very critical natural resource and is by Hawaii state law a public trust um, to benefit the, the the profit of these select few sugar operations and uh, at the time those were the main economic drivers of the state and there, they also controlled the politics and they controlled all of the land. And for better, for worse, we are in a much different time now. Correct. Uh, we weren't even a state at the time. And so the way that we evaluate what the best uh, purpose and what the best public use of a resource like water is, is, is much different than just saying, this is what we need to make this business succeed. Um, it has to balance with um, ecological uses of, of that water. It has to balance with um, <clears throat> cultural practices, whether it's cultural farming practices or gathering rights and things like that that are totally uh, undisrupted um, in those streams that are being diverted. Um, and then also, as a part of that evaluation process, look at food production and how important that is or is not to a state like Hawaii. And so it's, it's, it's certainly a paradigm shift to what we've been used to um, over the past 12 decades in Hawaii. And um, it's good. It's a good conversation that's happening right now because there is a balance that needs to be done. 
oftentimes agriculture is blamed for the excessive consumption of these natural resources. And for Hawaii, it's not just water. Um, it's also the sandalwood trade. It's also wood being used from native forests to fuel some of these industries um, to the point where we didn't have a forest anymore and, and forests had to be put back in. That's a very mm-hmm. critical natural resource uh, and conservation efforts were put in. Uh, to to take that place and so I think right now those conversations are very active those conversations um, are happening at the legislative level the Department of Land and Natural Resources is um, having uh, many many conversations about um, water allocation and 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 how best to um, look at a pathway that balances the needs of our environment, of our communities, as well as private industry. And that's the way it should be. And I think that that's something that everybody can can agree upon. Where that balance point is, where that middle ground is, maybe there's not as much agreement. Um, but I think that having those conversations are very important. And because having in, everybody in everybody, the same yeah, room. Yeah, everybody right? needs to be sitting at the table. And so I think we're getting a lot closer to that. Um, and I think, you know, one of the cool things is I think we still have a an area that we all agree upon, and that is local food production. I think regardless of where you sit on um, the natural resource and and water, for example, debates, um, everybody agrees that we need more local food production. And even if it's just resiliency. Yeah, for resiliency. And when you look at the the carbon footprint of bringing produce in that we can produce here, um, but it does take water, for example, and it takes land to produce these things. And so making sure everybody's educated on both sides, just, you know, me as a farmer, I would like everybody to be educated on how many gallons of water it takes to grow potatoes, for example, which is one of the first initiatives that we're putting forward uh, at Mahipono. <clears throat> Not a lot of water for how much food it produces, but when you're displacing that water from a taro farmer, I'd like to hear from them as well. How much water do they need? to make Mm -hmm. sure that they have a good crop, maybe not to sell, but to feed their family, to feed their community. How is it disrupting the the Oopu breeding season in the streams because water is being diverted? There's a lot of things that we need to be educated on as well. And I think we're starting to have those conversations collectively rather than separately and then fighting it out across Mm -hmm. the aisle. And so um, I think think we're starting to find more and more middle ground. And I think a lot of people are starting to cross over from the conservation sector into the ag sector to have those conversations and from the ag sector over into the conservation sector to make sure that we understand where we're coming from and that we're building those relationships so we can find a pathway to sustainability. Awesome. Well, that pretty much wraps up this one. And I thank you so much for your time and coming in because this gives everybody who hasn't been the opportunity to come to this conference this year, which by the way has been amazing. And um, they really stepped it up this year with all the panels that they've had and um, wanting to attend more than one panel that's at the same time (laughs) has been the most difficult part of it. Um, But thank you so much. And I, I applaud everybody that participated in this endeavor because I mean, I think it was a list of over 20 on the planning committee and everybody involved is statewide. Um, I do want to see something like this for the housing industry (laughs) at some point in the near future for our affordable housing. So thanks so much. A big mahalo to the Hawaii Agriculture Conference team this year. And since I was unable to interview all these amazing panels and panelists and speakers, I will try my best 
to um, get some of the individual podcasts with a few of them over the next few months. So stay tuned. When I have Jacob over in on Oahu again, I'm going to have to tackle uh, Mahi Pono and the, um, the farm there. So thank you so much, Jacob. No problem. Mahalo.